Hi, everybody. Cheryl Ackeson here. Welcome to another edition of the Cheryl Ackeson Podcast. Today, how some doctors, labs, and scamsters got rich prescribing unnecessary genetic tests during COVID and cheated you out of millions. I've been covering waste, fraud, and abuse of our tax money for so long, it starts to feel like very little of the money that the government collects and spends on our behalf goes to the intended cause. I'd be surprised if 10 cents on the dollar goes to what it's supposed to fund once you take away the waste, fraud, abuse, and the bureaucracy of handling and transferring the money, of administering the programs, etc., It's almost as if government now exists at times for its own sake, to perpetuate itself, to get the same political figures reelected so they can perpetuate government and send money to causes that make special interest then donate to them and vote for them again. So in the end, in a way, the waste, fraud, and abuse doesn't matter so much. It's about them saying that you gave the money for something. It's about them being able to get votes, not so much accomplishing the task. If it was their personal money, these federal officials and political figures, you'd bet we'd be tracking it and fixing the holes. If every dollar that was abused or wasted came off of a politician's salary, there'd be all kinds of fail-safe methods in place to make sure that every penny is tracked and spent correctly. It's easy to become cynical, but it is important to continue to unearth the instances when these abuses and crimes and waste are caught. One thing we do know, whenever there's a pot of money to be distributed by the government, whether it's for COVID reasons or green energy initiatives, whatever it may be, there are people looking to devise, first of all, legal ways to get at the money. For example, during Obama's green era and stimulus initiatives, we found companies were started by people who knew ahead of time that the programs were going to be started up, and they formed these companies just to get the grants. People forming them or leading them often had no experience in the field of green energy or even energy at all. They collected millions, tens of millions, and sometimes billions of dollars, paid themselves really good salaries, and then closed up shop when their businesses weren't successful. All perfectly legal, unless, of course, it turned out to be a Solyndra-type situation. But number two, there are also scamsters who outright scheme from the start when they know money is about to be distributed to find ways to steal it. Today, we're going to hear about a COVID-era scam born of the telemedicine trends started during COVID. It has to do with unnecessary genetic testing and Medicare money. Here is Omar Perez Ibar, a special agent with the Inspector General of Health and Human Services, who, with a team, did some incredible detective work to catch a bunch of crooks. Before we talk about the specific case, how does a typical kickback scheme work for people who don't know about the Medicare system and how much money's involved. Sure. How could you explain that simply? So first, let's define what a kickback is, right? And that is any inducement um, to refer or to order a claim that is not medically necessary uh, to the Medicare Medicaid program. And those kickbacks can be uh, seen in a number of different ways. In the last 25 years, I've seen all different types of kickback schemes where you can pay uh, doctors for ordering services. Uh, you can pay um, providers for uh, issuing or not providing certain type of de- uh, durable medical equipment. We've even seen instances where uh, beneficiaries are getting paid to allow a provider to use their information right, to bill uh, for services that aren't rendered or are not medically necessary. 
And the benefit is given to the person that's getting paid for the services. So maybe if you're a doctor and you order a non-necessary procedure, you get a kickback from who? So in, in this case, let's say you're ordering um, a durable medical equipment that's really not needed, then the provider of that durable medical equipment company is, is giving you the, the kickback. If, it's, uh, if you're the, um, uh, we, we've seen sham uh, contracts. So if I am allowing a lab uh, to bill for a service, right, that I'm ordering, then I'm getting a kickback from the lab, again, for ordering that particular service. And I think a lot of people, when they hear about this kind of fraud, they may think it doesn't touch them because they may not understand this money comes from a pot of money that a lot of ordinary Americans have paid into. Can you explain that? Sure. So we all, uh, first of all, Medicare is not a victimless crime um, because the first victims, in my opinion, starts with you and I. Uh, if we look at our paychecks, uh, all of us pay into the Medicare uh, Medicaid program. So uh, certainly, uh, you know, our parents, uh, our grandparents, our, our loved ones are all uh, part of uh, the program, then we're the ones being defrauded, right? Um, so certainly uh, the Medicare trust fund um, is where that money comes from. And so, uh, again, the Department of Health and Human Services has primary oversight responsibility for all of the funds that come out of that trust fund. Is there any trend you can talk about um, before we get into this specific case? Is there more fraud in the past five years, three years, two years, or since COVID, or less? What kind of trends are you seeing in your field office? So, uh, healthcare fraud is, um, it's, unfortunately, it's a pretty staple um, portfolio in our work, right? Um, and we see that it ebbs and flows. Um, we may actually be able to squeeze uh, a certain area of fraud and most times we're able to either eliminate it completely or really um, uh, deter folks from committing that type of crime. But when we do that, we just see that it morphs into uh, something else, right? Uh, of late, we've seen a resurgence of uh, durable medical equipment fraud, at least in, in Florida specifically. Uh, but we saw um, previous to the, t to the uh, COVID um, kind of pandemic, and even afterwards, there was a derivation of uh, genetic testing uh, schemes that we really started to key on around 2017. What is durable medical equipment? So that is uh, the equipment that is provided usually for uh, some type of orthotics um, or it's equipment that's given to help a patient um, just kind of be able to live a little bit more comfortably, right? So it could be wheelchairs, it could be position beds, it can, um, again, orthotics. Uh, when grandma gets a call from somebody and they want to give her a back brace and they say that's paid for, it, uh, that could be a It scam. is paid for. Yeah. We pay for it. Yeah. Okay. Um, what struck me about this case when I was reading is $73 million. This is huge. Can you give me an overview first in a paragraph or so of the Lionel Palatnik case, and then I'll ask some specific questions. Sure. So um, genetic testing uh, really is um, it's a test that uses your own DNA to determine if you have a predisposition for one of the suites of the genetic tests that are out there. Um, in this particular case, they were focused on car, uh, cancer genetic testing. And so prior to um, genetic testing, or there's three components for all intents and purposes. So one is uh, you have to have a physician um, that believes that that particular service is, is medically necessary. It is not a curiosity test. It's not to determine whether or not you're predisposed, right? It is supposed to be part of a, uh, a care 
uh, package that's usually tailored with your oncologist or your genetic counselor, right? So that we know how to treat uh, that patient. So you can get a genetic test and pay for it all day long, but the idea of whether Medicare is going to cover it, there's these strict requirements? Yes, ma'am. And so um, what we started seeing is that individuals were exploiting uh, that particular um, testing. And so uh, we just saw a lot of labs that, were, that kind of sprung up, uh, and they didn't have the equipment to actually run uh, this test. It's a next-generation sequencer, which is really expensive. And so they, in turn, would um, refer uh, the testing of that particular uh, DNA swab to what we call reference labs. So... Um, Part of the scheme was, uh, again, the doctors, patients were lured to be um, allowed to get their uh, buccal swab done. And they did that a number of different ways. So, uh, one, they would set up booths in type of shopping malls or in type, you know, strip malls. Um, they were even as brazen as to attach to uh, maybe a house of worship, uh, some type of service that was being done there. Or they would offer prepaid cell phones, right? Uh, as an inducement to allow you to take this free test. Because don't you want to know if you are predisposed to cancer? And so naturally they preyed on that. People uh, allowed their uh, testing to be done. Oftentimes the tests were never performed. Uh, if they were performed and they were sent back, it was sent maybe to the patient, not to the physician. Sometimes the physicians would see this and say, I don't really understand you know, what this means. How does this help me? Um, so it really was a sham all the way through. And who was getting paid? How was money being passed? So Medicare um, was paying the labs that were uh, purportedly running these tests. But there, the initial scheme um, prior to uh, the Palatinic uh, matter, uh, it varied across the country, but in general terms, you had, again, a number of recruiters or telemarketers that were out there, again, luring these patients to get in. Then they, had, uh, they have to identify who the doctor was that was going to order this prescription. So if they had the information of the doctor, they would do what we termed doctor chase. So they would hound this doctor to say, your patient wants this, your patient wants this, your patient wants this, can you prescribe it? After a certain number of attempts, then they had a number of doctors within uh, a telehealth uh, center. They were the ones who in turn would authorize the test. Now Medicare requires that there be a doctor-patient relationship. That didn't happen. Um, and so... Once that test was ordered, then the lab, again, would bill Medicare for that particular. And uh, Medicare case. sends the money to the lab directly for the service? It does. Um, what kind of money are we talking about for a test like that? So uh, we saw uh, the average um, payment for that is about $7,000. Wow. Uh, but we saw it as low as 4000 and as high as $15,000. Uh, it depends, again, on what types of tests, genetic tests, they were uh, performing on the patient. No wonder they were trying this out. It's very lucrative. How did the Lionel Palatnik case come to your attention? So, um, again, we started around 2017, um, just looking at some of the data, and we saw some spikes in genetic testing. And around 2019, we had um, received some uh, hotline uh, complaints that had come in, plus we had some human intelligence that was telling us, you really start, need to start looking at this area. And so when we married the hotline complaint and that human intelligence with the data, we knew that there was a fraud scheme here. So we opened uh, Operation Double Helix, and at the time, um, we realized there was a $3.7 billion um, kind of eyesore, right, that we really needed to address. So Just in this one case? Just in Double Helix, right, in this one um, scheme in genetic testing. So about $3.7 billion is what we initially started to see. 
And so in September of 2019, we were able to, to do the first wave of Operation uh, Double Helix, and we charged 35 individuals tied to 12 labs, and it was equivalent of $1.4 billion uh, that they were responsible for. So in that uh, first wave, um, there were about 21 labs that we were kind of looking at, and uh, Leonel Palatnik was one of those labs that we were kind of looking at. And so, so is this somebody who ran a lab? He owned uh, a company that had several labs and had several uh, marketing companies. So if you remember the, in the first scheme, right, part of it was you had almost three pockets, right, or three different um, actors. You had the recruiters, you had the, the doctors, and then you had the lab owners. What uh, Lionel did was uh, pretty smart. He says, well, how can we uh, maximize our gains? So they basically took everything in-house. So he not only he and his co-conspirators not only owned the labs that purportedly rendered the test, but they also owned the call centers that were reaching out to patients and trying to lure them in. And they were smart. They said, what we'll do is, rather than hiring physicians and having to pay them, why don't we just try to reach out to existing telehealth companies that have doctors there, and the pitch is, hey, we'll refer our patients to you. You review it, and then you bill Medicare for the office visit. So the, the doctors, again, are going to get their payment, and then all of the money that we're going to get from, from Medicare for the lab, we're going to keep in-house. Were doctors considered in some cases to be part of the fraud or just unwitting participants? In some instances, they were unwitting. Again, they worked for a telehealth company, and they were asked to see and review um, services or claims that were coming into them, right, orders. Um, but we did know, and we do know, um, that there are uh, a number of physicians that uh, knew precisely because they weren't really having conversations with the patients. And if they did, it was very minimal, but yet they submitted or allowed their company to submit a claim for a 30 to 45-minute uh, visit when that, in fact, didn't take place. Much more after a short break. Eyeshadow has come a long way since you swiped on one color at a time or practically had to take a master class in cosmetics to get the shading right. Hi, I'm Star, owner of the Lemonade Mermaid, and I've designed an exclusive shade-shifting multi-chrome pigment for eyes that's like no other you'll ever see. Just swipe it on your eyelids and the magic happens. Depending on the angle and light, it shifts between hues of golden pink or green and pink and even purple and gold. The shading is done for you. Just $25 for a jar that will last you months. My website is store.lemonademermaid.life. And listeners of this podcast can get 20% off these incredible pigments by using the checkout code PODCAST. I hope to see you at store.lemonademermaid.life today. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. What do you know about Palatnik, and was, what kind of business was he involved in before this? And do you have any idea what drove him to go, yeah, this is something I could do? So what we, what we know 
is that, again, prior to uh, their first takedown in 2019, they were already in this business. But interestingly enough, um, so the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, through its, um, you know, some of its uh, contractors, did an audit and realized that there were a number of claims uh, that Palatinic had submitted that were not medically necessary. And so they issued an overpayment, and they tried to claw back some of that money. Um, in comes the uh, pandemic, right? So this was late 2019, and so at the height of the pandemic, um, so Medicare wanting to ensure that its uh, patient population was safe, right, relaxed, relaxed some of the regulations um, that were there for telehealth services. So pre-pandemic, uh, in order for a telehealth service to be uh, valid or paid, three things needed to be um, uh, kind of like in effect. One is that the patient needed to reside in a rural or a health care uh, or health professional shortage area. Uh, the service needed to be done through some type of audio video, video um, platform, naturally. And uh, the beneficiary had to be in that professional medical service or another facility, right, that was tied to their particular physician. Post uh, incomes COVID, and so they relaxed those two of those three uh, regulations for obvious reasons. How do we continue to provide care right, to our population, and not just the Medicare, but across right healthcare? Uh, so at least in Medicare, they said, well, you no longer need to be in a rural or a, a, a health uh, care shortage area, and you can do it from the comfort of your home. So what does that do? Uh, certainly that was a great opportunity for the continuity of care, but that also opened the door for opportunists like Palatnik to really take advantage and exploit the Medicare program. So um, how did this investigation happen? Do you have agents that do undercover observations, or do you just build a case and go arrest the guy? What do you do? Right. So uh, we have um, an outstanding division of data analytics. Uh, we actually have some data scientists uh, that we collaborate with, and we say, we just, we're noticing this. Right, so the street is telling us that these are, you know, some of the loopholes that exist, or these are some of the schemes that uh, are allowing them to maneuver in the way that they do. So we feed that information uh, to our data analytics teams, and they again create algorithms to try to be able to um, to see where there are any spikes. We also work uh, certainly with uh, our Office of Audit Services, our Office of Evaluation and Inspections, right, because they also look at maybe some of the regulatory sides and can point us in some directions. We partner definitely with our uh, partners over at the Department of Justice, uh, both on the prosecutive side and with the investigative side, and others, right, at the state and local levels. And so certainly as a law enforcement agency, we, we uh, execute a number of different tools um, to include maybe some undercover operations uh, and the like. But um, in this particular case, we not only married um, our, you know, kind of use of data technology, but we also uh, leveraged uh, the human uh, intelligence that we were able to gather. Tell me what you know about the day he was arrested and what he said about all of this, if anything. So uh, there, there are certain things like uh, the case is still ongoing, right, with some of their uh, co-conspirators. And so um, there are some things I can't necessarily talk about, but um, I certainly um, can say that it was uh, eye-opening to him to realize that uh, the amount of work or the amount of fraud that he had, uh, was committing um, was on our radar for quite a while. Can you quantify what you found in this case, just sort of a summary of what you found he did, had done over what period of time? 
So again, from around 2019 is uh, when he took over some of the companies and established some uh, corporations in Texas uh, and in Florida. And interestingly enough, again, in 2018, uh, he had only billed about $2.8 million. Uh, in 2019, it had gone up to about $9.8 million. And in 2020, uh, it was, uh, again, $90 million billed, uh, about 73 uh, or so. Kind of made it through, and then 50 was what was paid. Wow. Um, but you did get a guilty plea. Yes, we did. So what do you think convinced him, if you have any idea, to go ahead and say, I did it? So I think, uh, again, kudos to the investigative team. Uh, there was uh, just, I think, overwhelming evidence, right? And we were able to not only see that uh, the claims didn't really match the evidence. So, uh, again, services weren't being provided. Um, tests weren't being really done. Uh, we had um, individuals telling us that, again, they really weren't having conversations with the patients prior to ordering the tests, or if they had, it was really minimal. Um, it was just, um, here's, a, here's a number of scripts, and they would just go in and click the key to authorize, authorize, authorize. Um, so when we have that, uh, again, the data was powerful. When we have some um, cooperators basically saying this is, this is the directions that we were being given by uh, Palatnik and the co-conspirators, there was just no way. And this is all in the South Florida area, or was it spread beyond that? So in this particular case, it was uh, South Florida area. Now, again, the, the, his particular uh, scheme involved, again, some players um, outside of uh, Florida, but uh, the majority was uh, Florida-based. For people who don't even know that this office goes on and these kinds of investigations and this kind of Medicare fraud, what is something you'd like them to know? What's a good takeaway message for people as we talk about this? Sure. So the uh, Office of Inspector General uh, for Health and Human Services, and particularly the Office of Investigations, um, you know, over four decades, uh, we've kind of honed our craft. Um, we consider ourselves the nation's premier uh, healthcare law enforcement agency. Um, and we leverage, again, every tool available uh, to us and the partnerships that we've created, again, with the Department of Justice and others. Um, we are, um, you know, we're a watchdog, um, and, and we're constantly watching. If uh, you specifically um, maneuver yourselves, right, to take advantage of uh, the population's most vulnerable victims, which tend to be ours, the elderly, uh, the disabled, and, um, and children, then you, in, you uh, activate that innate um, kind of hunger in us as watchdogs, and we're going to get on the ta- uh, we're going to get on that particular sniff right on that t- um, trail, and we're going to come after you. In this age of a highly controlled media landscape, it's never been more important to fight the heavy hand of censorship and support truly independent journalism. Go to CherylAckison.com and click the store tab for a great way to do that. There are all kinds of cool products. A lot of them make great gifts that feature catchphrases like, I tested positive for critical thinking, and do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself. Proceeds support independent journalism causes like the Cheryl Ackeson Ion Awards for off-narrative, accurate reporting. Go to CherylAckeson.com and click the store tab. Thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you'll share this podcast and leave a great review. 
And now you can support independent journalism, which has never been more important, by visiting CherylAckeson.com and clicking the store tab. There are some thought-provoking and fun products designed exclusively for independent and free thinkers like you, with proceeds from sales benefiting various independent reporting causes. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself.